0: Life can be hard. Sometimes life is hard because people make bad decisions. We've all made bad decisions and had negative consequences come into our lives because of that. Uh, we also have had other people, people we know, people we love, people we care about that make bad decisions. And their bad decision affects us and makes our life hard in one way or, or another. Right? Bad decisions and all kinds of things can happen and just... Make life harder than it has to be for every person on the planet. And so we all we go through these times where things are difficult, trials are hard, we don't know what to do. We could all say as the psalmist says, my soul is full of troubles, my life draws near to the grave. I'm counted by those who go down to the pit and I'm like a man who has no strength. Adrift among the dead like a slain in the grave whom you remember no more and who are cut off from the land. Right now, in this moment, every one of us either knows someone that feels that way or we feel that way ourselves. Uh, The hardness of life, it brings problems into our life. And there are four basic truths about problems that I think are somewhat important to know. One is that we cannot keep problems from happening. No matter how we live, how much faith we have, how devoted we are, what kind of spouse or parent or citizen or employee we are, We all face problems in our lives. There is no way to live a problem-free life. That is just not the world that we live in. So the second truth, though, is that we cannot run from our problems. I read something years ago about the futility of running away from your problems that has always stuck with me. The author said, wherever you go, there you are. Right? A lot of times when people have problems, one of the things they want to do is run away. They run to another spouse. They run to another job, to another town. But the reality is none of that will take the problem away. All that does is move my problem to a new location. We cannot run from our problems. They go with us. Uh, Thirdly, we cannot ignore our problems. Our problems won't go away because we don't talk about them. Our problems won't go away because we don't acknowledge them. Our problems won't go away because we refuse to work to fix them. Typically, ignoring our problems only gives them time to fester and then get worse. I mean, think about in your own life. How many times have big problems that have come into your life been an enormous shock? I mean, isn't it often true? Again, this isn't like a universal always true, but isn't it often true that when big problems come up in our life, they're the result of little problems that we've ignored And hoped it would just go away on its own. Over time. When we ignore a problem. It does not get better. Instead ignoring a small problem. Gives it time to become a big problem. And ignoring a big problem. Gives it time to become a catastrophic problem. We cannot ignore our problems. And then we cannot solve our problems. Our problems are typically beyond our capacity. To deal with effectively. If they weren't. They wouldn't be problems, they would be inconveniences. But once they get to the level of being an actual problem, it is beyond our ability to, to fix it in our own strength and in our own wisdom. Now thankfully, as disciples of Jesus, we don't have to handle our problems on our own. We can seek help from the one who knows and can do all things. We're going to look tonight at how Ezra had to deal with a problem and what he did to overcome it. Open your Bible to Ezra chapter 8. It's page 367 in your Pew Bibles. And when you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand on the reading of God's Word. Now, we are sort of going to cover the whole chapter tonight, but we're not going to read all the verses in this time. We're just going to skip over to kind of get a gist of the story of what's going on. In Ezra 8 and 1, it says, And these are the heads of the Father's houses. And this is the genealogy of those who went up with me from Babylon, the reign of King Artaxerxes. Now jump to verse 15. Now I gathered them by the river that flows to Ahava, and we camped there three days. And I looked among the people of the priests, and I found none of the sons of Levi there. Then I sent for Eleazar and Ariel, Shemala, Elnathan, Jerob, Elnathan, Nathan, Zechariah, Meshulam, leaders also for Jorab and for El Nathan. That's a very popular name at this time. Men of understanding. And I gave them command for Ido, chief man of the palace of Kasaphiah. And I told them what they should do, what they should say to Ido and his brethren, the Niphanim in the place of Kasaphiah, that they should bring us servants for the house of our God. Then by the good hand of our God upon us, they brought us a man of understanding, the sons of Mahali, the son of Levi, a son of Israel, namely Cherubi, with his sons and brothers, 18 men. Now jump down to verse 21. And then I proclaimed to fast there at the river Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him the right way for us and our little ones and our possessions. For I was ashamed to request of the king an escort of soldiers and horsemen to help us "...against the enemy on the road, because we had spoken to the king, saying, "...the hand of our God is upon all those for good who seek him, but his power and his wrath are against those who forsake him." So we fasted and treated our God for this, and he answered our prayer. And I separated twelve of the leaders of the priests, Sherabba, Hashabba, and ten of their brethren with him, and we weighed out to them the silver, the gold, the articles of the offering for the house of our God, which the king and his counselors and his princes and all Israel who were present had offered." and I weighed into their hand 650 talents of silver articles weighing or silver articles weighing 100 talents 100 talents of gold 20 gold basins worth a thousand drachmas two vessels of fine polished bronze as precious as gold and I said to them you are holy to the Lord the articles are also holy and the silver and the gold are a free will offering to the Lord God of our fathers watch and keep them until you weigh them before the leaders the priests the levites and the head of the fathers the house of Israel and Jerusalem, in the chambers of the house of the Lord. So the priests and the Levites received the silver and the gold and the articles by weight to bring them to Jerusalem, the house of our God. Then we departed from the river Ahava on the twelfth day of the first month to go to Jerusalem, and the hand of our God was upon us, and He delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from the ambush along the road. So we came to Jerusalem and stayed there three days. title of the message tonight is The Ezra Fast. Pray. Our Father, we love you today. You are great and awesome and worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. And not, God, we do come with a variety of cares and burdens and problems in our lives. Lord, whether they're problems of our own making, problems that just come from living in a fallen, sin-cursed world, or, Lord, problems that come because people we love and care about are, are making bad decisions that are bringing really terrible things into our life, doing terrible things in their life and causing problems for us. Father, we need help. We know that we are not able to ignore it. We know that we cannot run from it. We know, God, that it must be dealt with, but we are at a loss. We do not know how to deal with these problems. And so we come to you tonight. We come to your word and we plead for your Holy Spirit to come to take this book, to make it living and active in our lives, to speak to us from it tonight, to give us wisdom and guidance, to show us, Lord, how we should fast, how we should seek you so that we could receive the answers we need. And we could do the things that You would want us to do, that You would reconcile and You would resolve these problems in such a way that no person could take credit for it, but we would have to say this was our God. The good hand of our God was upon us and brought this to pass. Have Your way tonight. Fill me with Your Spirit. Give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. Speak Your Word and Your ways for Your glory tonight, Father. We need You above all us. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now remember, it's been about 60 years since the events of Ezra chapter 6. Ezra is set to lead a group of people back to Jerusalem to sort of rebuild the spiritual condition of the people. The temple is up, the sacrifices are going on, but their spiritual life is not as it should be. And as he sets to go back, he encounters a problem. The problem is how to get a group of unprotected, untrained exiles from Babylon to Jerusalem. Now, one of the books that I read in studying for this called The Stretch of Land from Where They Were at the Ahava River to Jerusalem, the Badlands. The book said it was called the Badlands because it was inhabited by gangs of thieves who were known to attack, rob, and kill the caravan as they traveled. We saw in our reading that Ezra was indeed concerned about that. Now, Ezra's caravan would be an especially ripe target for a variety of reasons. One, they were former exiles. These weren't soldiers. They had no soldiers with them, given the, the problem that Ezra was talking about in these verses. They had many young ones that were with them, so that would make it difficult to defend. And they had quite a bit of treasure. right? We saw in verses 25-27 through 27 the, the great amount of treasure that they had. And keep in mind as we look at all that treasure, that the exiles returning home, they are not returning home as, as prisoners, like they've been living in a prison camp for all of these years. Rather, they had been taken from their homeland, but had been allowed to live freely in Babylon. They had started businesses. They had built homes. They had raised family. So what they're taking with them is essentially their life savings and all of their belongings. Right? They had, in fact, grown wealthy in Babylon. Not only were they bringing back their own personal wealth, they had donations for the temple from the Jews who were not going back. The stuff they were taking back... Uh, I was reading and trying to calculate how much it would be worth by today's estimates. Um, and, and it would be worth hundreds of millions of dollars is what they have and what they are taking back to Jerusalem at this time. Now, this wasn't being taken back in credit cards or bank vaults. right? The stuff was on hand, which means this is a big caravan. This isn't just a group of 40 or so people walking together together. This are wagons after wagons after wagons of of gold and silver and and precious things. It was a great target for a bandit to acquire. So Ezra was rightfully fearful of them being attacked and killed and their stuff taken. Now On top of... This difficulty of the trip and the possibility of the caravan being raided and the incredible amount of wealth that they were carrying being stolen was Ezra's unwillingness to ask the kings for God's. Now if you remember from a couple of weeks ago when we looked at Ezra chapter 7, when Ezra petitioned the king to, to set them free so they could go back and to ask the king to, to fund some of what they were going to do, he had kind of made a big point that God was awesome. Right, And as it says here that he had told the king the hand of our God is upon those who, who seek him and his anger and his wrath are against those who oppose him. So basically what he had said is our God is awesome and our God can do all kinds of things. King, you would be right to get on the side of our God. And now they're heading back and he's embarrassed to go to the king and say, Oh, we've told you our God was great and awesome and you ought to get on his side. Can you give us some dudes with swords to protect us? As we go back to worship our God, Um, how could he tell the king the God of Israel was great and awesome on one breath and then go ask for an armed escort to do that God's will the next? Well, Ezra just could not, and he had a problem. Ezra could not keep these problems from being there, it was there. Ezra could not run from these problems because he had to take that stuff somewhere. Ezra could not ignore these problems because it was there. And Ezra could not solve these problems on his own. So what did he do? Ezra got the people together so they could fast and they could pray and they could humble themselves and they could seek guidance from their God. That was the main idea. That's the thing that Ezra did. We don't know what to do. Our problem is more than we can handle. It's more than we can do. We need to fast and pray and ask God to show us what route to take and what we ought to do. Ezra knew some answers to some problems only come through prayer and fasting. Some answers to some problems only come through prayer and fasting. You know, when we get to the New Testament, Jesus talks about certain kinds of spiritual victories can only come through prayer and fasting. There are some answers to some problems. We will never receive Apart from prayer and fasting. Now from this chapter in Ezra we have four principles to show us, to learn from. To, uh, to learn from Ezra's example of fasting for help and guidance from our problem. Right. Number one is choose who else to involve. Right? Ezra's problem was more than a personal matter. It involved everyone that was headed back to Jerusalem. Right. Everybody that's listed in verses 15 through 20, it was a part of their problem. But not only them, the people who had donated gold, it involved them as well. It involved every, really just quite a number of people. And so since this was more than a personal problem, Ezra did more than a personal fast. This isn't Ezra fasted on his own. As Ezra gathered the people there. And was made aware of this problem. And wondered what to do. Ezra proclaimed a fast. In other words what he said was. We're all going to fast. And we're all going to humble ourselves. And we're all going to seek our God. For answers for this problem. What it is that we're going to do. These were not merely the people that were going back with him. These were also the people who would be fasting. For help and guidance for this problem. Now, there is a, not a tension, but just a reality. We don't always need other people to pray and fast with us. But sometimes we do. And and that really is the principle. Sometimes we don't, and sometimes we do. And the key is for us to figure out, is this problem something that I can deal with on my own? Me and God, we can handle it. Or is this a problem? I need to get other people and have them pray and have them fast with me about the problem so we can get the guidance that we need. Now, there are no hard and fast absolutes about how to know when to involve others. But here are some questions I think we could think through. Now, Number one, does it involve others? Again, with Ezra, this involved all of these people. And since it involved all of these people, their lives, their children, their wealth, it was right for him to enlist them to pray and fast about this as well. If, if our problem or the answer to our problem, if it's going to affect others, we probably should involve them as well. But right? if I'm having a problem that's going to affect my family, I probably should at the very least get Kelly to pray and fast with me. As a church, if our church is having a problem that's going to infect infect, affect the whole body, all of us as a church family, then it's probably right to enlist all of the church to pray about that problem, right? And again, that's not a hard and fast and how often and all that kind of stuff. I can't give you that answer, but ask that question, does my problem, is it going to affect others? Is the answer, how God's guidance on what I'm to do in response to this problem, is that going to affect others? If it is, then I probably should involve them in that fast. Right? Is it bigger than me? Is it bigger than me? And what I mean by bigger than me is something beyond our experience or our capabilities to figure out. I know for me there have been problems I've faced that were so enormous and so beyond my capabilities and my experience, I had no idea what to do. It's not that I needed God to clarify an idea I had about what needed to be done. It wasn't that I needed just... God, to confirm in my heart this feeling that I had about what needed to be done. As I looked at this problem, I had no idea. I mean, I could not even begin to to comprehend an action plan or an idea about what was needed to be done. So in those times, what, what I needed to do was get other people to pray and fast with me. I have no clue. This is what's going on. This is the problem. It is so far beyond me. I feel lost in the moment. Will you pray, will you fast with me about this? And then a third one is, do I feel overwhelmed? And this is similar to the previous question, but it's different enough. I wanted it on its own. Right? Some problems we face, they're not necessarily bigger than us in that we don't have any idea what to do. They simply overwhelm us. Right? And so like an example I was thinking about today it was with, with Lizzie, with often. But when Lizzie was in the NICU after she was born, right? I mean, it was bigger than us, but we weren't, I mean, there was nothing we could do. It wasn't our problem to fix. It was the doctors. We knew the next step. We knew all of those things that were going on. So it wasn't bigger than us in that respect. But watching our daughter nearly die, not knowing if we were taken home, that was overwhelming. I mean, it was just a matter of we, not that we needed clarification, we were just overwhelmed at this problem. So we enlisted dad and mom to pray and fast with us about her. Right In those times where maybe, again, I know exactly what needs to be done. How many of you know that there are problems we can have? And we know. We know what needs to be done. It's clear what needs to happen. But the issue itself is so big, so enormous, that we are overwhelmed at what's going on. In times where we feel overwhelmed, we need our brothers and sisters in Christ, our family, to wage war with us on our behalf to seek God. In those times we feel overwhelmed, we get others to pray and fast with us. Now, again, I can't give you a hard and fast absolute about when you need to involve others, except to say there are times where we need to involve others, and there are times where we need to handle it on our own. When we do an Ezra fast, a fast like Ezra did, we need to decide beforehand if we need to involve others. And if we do, who are we going to involve? Right, so clarify, choose who else we're going to involve in our fast. Secondly, fast seriously. What Ezra and his crew are doing is serious business. But the wording that Ezra used Shows they're not messing around. They are going to fast. What they're going to do without food. They're going to humble themselves. Before their God. And they're going to seek from Him. The right way. For Him. Or for them. And for their little ones. And in verse 22 it says. That they entreated their God. All of these. Are, are. Are words of intensity. They are. Very very serious. About what they're going to do. They're going to take some time. And we don't know exactly how long it was. They're going to take time. And they're going to not eat and say, God, we need you more than we need food. They're going to humble themselves and say, God, we have no idea what the right way forward is. And they are going to spend their time crying out to their God. Right? It's not just that they're not going to eat and then sit around and play games. It's not that they're not going to eat, but then they're going to take care of other business along the way. They are going to not eat and they are going to agonize in prayer For their God's help. Calling for this fast. Communicated to the people that what was going on. Was serious business. When we fast. We too must take it seriously. It is a a time of earnestly seeking the Lord. Fasting is doing without something. Usually food for a specific amount of time. For a spiritual purpose. In this case. In the case of an Ezra faster. Fasting like Ezra. We are seeking help from God with a problem that we have. Now when we talk about fasting. I always want to talk about the different kinds of fast. Because fasting isn't something that we talk a lot about in our day. Now a hundred years ago and beyond. The church fasted often. But in our day the church doesn't fast nearly as much. ...as it used to, so we're not as familiar with it. Um, there are a lot of different kinds of fasts mentioning, mentioned in Scripture. Right? A, a really simplistic way to distinguish the different types of fasts... ...would be to say that there are partial fasts and complete fasts. A partial fast is when we restrict or we do partially without food. Right? And a partial fast could be further divided into restricting only certain types of foods... ...for a certain period of time... Or completely fasting for a partial, for a, just part of a day. Right, you've probably heard of a Daniel fast. It's a really popular fast that's going on right now that a lot of people do. It's based on Daniel's diet choices from Daniel chapter 1. He would not eat any sweet meats, the king's wine, but only the, the vegetables. So a Daniel fast, you don't eat meat, you don't eat sweets, you typically only drink water. Bread and veggies are just about the end of what you have. And, and even with that, you don't... Soup them up and fancy them up. You cut out dairy. You don't put a lot of butter in your veggies and stuff like that, right? You, it's as plain a vegetable meal as you could have. And then the other kind of partial fast is you go for part of a day without eating anything, or for a period of time, say sun up to sundown, seven to seven, something along those lines. You pick a period of time and you say during this time I'm not going to eat. I'm going to pray and I'm going to fast. Then a complete fast. It's just what it sounds like. You go a day or more without eating anything at all. Now, there are some, for medical reasons, cannot go a long period of time without eating at all. For those, a partial fast is likely best. My dad is an example of that. Years ago, dad fasted, and would, he could fast a couple of days at a time. But at this point in his life, his medicines that he has require him to eat food when he takes them. And if he doesn't take them, it either makes him sick or lightheaded or something along those lines. So dad does a sun up to sun down kind of fast. Dad gets up way before the sun comes up in the morning. He eats his first meal. He takes his first load of medicine. And then he doesn't eat throughout the rest of the day till the sun goes down and he eats supper and he takes all the rest of his medicines from then until bedtime. Uh, that's the way that he fasts now because of his... Just his health and his physical issues. And that is a, a, a really a decent and a good way to fast. Right? To sun up the sundown, something along those lines. Now, to me, as I understand fasting the way I see it, the key to fasting is being specific. Right? And, and what I mean by specific is you lay out clearly what you're fasting from and how long you're going to fast. Right? The way I do it when I'm fasting is I determine a length of time. Right? I'm going to fast just one day, or I'm going to fast two days, or, or whatever it is I'm going to do. And then I'm going to decide what I can and cannot have while I'm on my fast. Again, I clarify all of this before I start. So if I'm going to do a, a complete fast, I'm just not going to eat for 24 hours, then I'll, I'll decide when is it going to start. Does it start from sun up one day to sun up the next day, or does it start at midnight to midnight? When will it start? And then, I'm not going to eat anything, but... Can I drink milk? Can I drink juice? Can I have broth or can I have soup? Or am I just going to drink water throughout the day? Uh, And and these are the kinds of things I'm I'm specific about before I start my fast. And I think this is kind of the the way we all need to do it. We would be specific because there are no real rules about fasting. I mean, the Bible says people fasted, but it doesn't give us specifics about how we're supposed to emulate them. Just that Jesus says in Matthew 6 that we are he expects that we'll fast. We see the early church following the example of fasting. But largely fasting is something that is between is between me and God. It's between you and God. And if we're going to take it seriously, then what we do is we don't just kind of wing it. We, we determine beforehand. This is a problem I've got. And I need God's guidance, God's help to figure out what to do. So on this day... I'm going to fast in this way. It's going to start here. It's going to end there. And in that amount of time in between, here's what I am going to be able to have. Here's what I will not be able to have. And I'm as specific as I possibly can be as I fast. That, that is taking it seriously. I mean, nobody really takes anything seriously that we just kind of wing on the fly and run with it. Right? When we plan, when we think through it, It shows that we're taking it seriously. Now also a part of taking it seriously. Is focusing on God. right? they were going to not just not eat. They were going to humble themselves before God. And seek from God. The right way to go. Fasting and prayer go together. You don't take one without the other. Fasting is more than just denying ourselves of something to eat. Primarily fasting is about focusing on on God and less about us. When we fast, we are centering our attention on God so that we can really put Him first in every area of our life and that we can think more about Him and His will and His ways. Right. So when we fast, we get hungry. When the hunger pains strike, we don't go, Oh, I'm so hungry. Boy, I love Jesus because I'm fasting. No, instead we pray in that moment. That, that fasting, that hunger reminds us to cry out to God. Maybe we praise the Lord that He hears and cares and He's involved in our life. Maybe we say, God, help me. I mean, this isn't a, at this point, a long, drawn-out prayer. It's just hunger, pain reminded me. Think about God, pray. God, help me in this issue. Give me wisdom, whatever. And then we, we kind of go on. We pray that way. But we also, when we fast, we use the time that we would have eaten to either pray or read scripture. right? This helps us keep our focus on God. And this is harder than it sounds when you fast. Because when you fast, if you're fasting through lunch. Let's say you're fasting sun up to sundown, You're going to skip lunch and in that time. There is a very real temptation in that noon hour to do something else. I mean you can get a lot of extra work done in your lunch hour if you're working and everybody else is gone. Right? You could get a lot of extra reading in a different book that you wanted to read in that time if you're there and everybody else is gone. You could watch a TV show. You could I mean there's all of these other I could take a nap. Right? I'm not gonna eat, so I'm just gonna take a quick nap and get up and move on. There's all of this other stuff that we would be tempted that we are going to be tempted to do. So what we do is we, we take the fast seriously and we make a point to pray, to read extra scripture in that time but right? Satan would love to hinder our fast by taking our primary focus or taking our focus off the primary purpose of focusing on God listen the benefits of the fast they aren't because we don't eat that's not what the benefit is the benefit comes because of our extra focus and extra awareness on God so if i say i'm going to fast through lunch And I work through lunch. All I've done is not eat. I have not really fasted. And I will likely miss out on all the benefits of what I'm trying to acquire from the fast. If I'm going to take the fast seriously. I must focus on God. I must be super intentional about focusing on God during the fast. Because other things will distract us. Other things will pull at us. Other things will call at us. And we will have to put all of those things down and say, no, in this time when I'm not eating, I'm focusing on God. So choose who else to involve. Fast seriously and then listen carefully. It says in verse 23, so we fasted and treated our God for this and he answered our prayer. God honored their fast and He answered their prayer and showed them what to do. I am convinced that God is more willing to guide us than we are willing to be guided by God. This is one of my very favorite passages. He said, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with a bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. Now I love the contrast in this passage. On the one hand, we can be so in tune with God that He is able to guide us with His eyes. And the picture is being so focused on God that He merely looks at a direction, and we know that's where we're supposed to go. We can just we're watching, we're focused, and the slightest indication of God. Just, we take off and we're able to go. Or, on the other hand, we can be like a stubborn and rebellious animal and God has to, to drag us in the way that He wants us to go. And a good picture of these two, you have Philip going to the Ethiopian eunuch, right? Philip's going along and the Holy Spirit says to him, go up to that chariot and talk to them. I mean, that's just a very... He knows it's God and he follows and he goes right up there. The other is Jonah, right? I mean, Jonah is not actually like a big hero in the Bible. Jonah is a guy that God said go here and he took off and he went there. And the only reason he ended up going there was because God had him tossed in the water, swallowed by a great fish, and in that moment his options were be digested or go to Nineveh, right? We can be like Philip and just the slightest whisper from God go his direction. Or we can be like Jonah and God has to bring catastrophic circumstances into our life before we'll even pay attention. I don't want to be like Jonah. We should want to be like Philip, to to be close to God. That we can receive His guidance easily. We often miss God's guidance because we don't want it or we aren't willing to do it. God is always willing to guide us. And He's always willing to guide us along the best paths for our life. The way that we need to go. We just have to listen. God works through three primary means to guide us. God guides through His Word. This is always the number one way that God will guide us. God guides through His Word. The psalmist said, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. You, through your commandments, have made me wiser than my enemies. For they, and they there, I believe, is the commandments. It's not the enemies. They are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers. For your testimonies are my meditations. I understand more than the ancients. Because I keep your precepts. Now, I like the wording here, right? Because he talks about wisdom and understanding. Not every problem we face is going to be explicitly mentioned in Scripture whether you shall do this or you shall not do that. But we're not left to our own devices uh, as God will work through his word to give us wisdom and understanding for the problems that we face. In our life. The more that we know the Bible. The better that we know the Bible. The more we are able to take principles from Scripture. See an issue. And say I think this is what's best. In light of what I know from Scripture. Right Not there's no absolute command. That this is what the Bible says. But from my understanding. From what I've read. I This is what is the right direction I think. God will guide us through his word. In that way. Not everything is going to be. But we have to know the word, right? The better we know the word, the better we're able to do that. It's like, well, it's like with your relationship with your spouse. If you were to come up to me and Kelly wasn't here, if you were to come up and say, "Hey, do you think Kelly would do this?" Now, I'm going to have a pretty good idea of whether or not she'll do it. I'm not going to say she will or won't, right? Because I've been married more than a week. I'm not going to commit to anything like that. But because I know her. I am a pretty good. I have a pretty good idea of what the answer will be when you ask it. And that's kind of the way it is with God. The better we know the Word, the better we know God, and the better a situation comes, we're able to take the Word and say, from what I know of God, from what I know of the Word, this seems to be the best course of action. That's wisdom, that's understanding, that's taking the, the precepts and principles from Scripture and applying them to everyday life. And that is how God will guide us. He will guide us, yes, through a yes or no. But he'll guide us through the wisdom that comes from the Word as well. But notice the, the psalmist, he meditated on it all the day. The commandments were always with him. He had more understanding because he meditated on it. He thought about it. He read it. Right? Again, this is a part of the fast, right? We're focusing on God. So as I fast, I'm, I'm going to be in the Word a lot. I'm going to be reading and studying every chance I get. So that I can hear what God would have for me. And be able to get wisdom and precepts and principles to help me make a decision. God guides us through His Word. But God guides through His Spirit as well. But the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity who is living and active in this world. Is a, a person, not a force, not an it. With a will who speaks and leads and guides us in our life. And as the Holy Spirit leads us, what we're supposed to do... To walk in the Spirit. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. I've talked about this before, but the word translated as walk there carries with it the idea of keeping in step with another in submission. Right? So it's not that we lead and the Holy Spirit keeps up with us. It's that the Holy Spirit sets the pace and we walk the way He walks. We don't run ahead of the Holy Spirit. We don't lag behind. Where he leads, we follow in all things. We, we are, as, as disciples, we are meant to live, act, and react under the guidance influence of the Holy Spirit all of the time. And the way the wording of Galatians is, the, the implication is we can. Right? It's not that this is a pie in the sky. Boy, wouldn't it be great if we could keep in step with the Spirit? We can. We're commanded to do it, so we can do it. The Holy Spirit will guide us. We can live being guided, being led by the Holy Spirit. And in my experience, I can't, I don't think I can point to a Bible verse and say this is absolute. So I'll tell you in my experience, feel free to accept or reject it based upon that. Nothing increases my sensitivity to the Holy Spirit like fasting cannot tell you the number of times I have been fasting and been praying and just the Holy Spirit led me in a way. Or I've just i been praying and I'm walking around, going through my daily life and the Holy Spirit give me the answer I need in a moment like that. Nothing, in my opinion, will increase our sensitivity to the leadership of the Holy Spirit like fasting. And so God guides us through His Word, God guides us through His Spirit, and then finally God guides us through His people. God also uses people to give us His wisdom and His guidance. That like proverb says that there is, where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. We are unwise to not seek the counsel and advice of godly men and women that God has placed in our lives. That is a foolish thing to do. And the number one reason that we do not seek the the advice and counsel of godly men and women is pride. Full stop. That's it. Pride keeps us from seeking advice and counsel from others. Pride makes us afraid of what others will think. I'm having this problem. Will you pray with me about it? Will you fast with me about it? Can you Have you experienced anything like this? Pride makes me afraid they're going to think I'm weak. They're going to think, I, I've messed up as a parent if I talk about my kid having a problem and I don't know what to do about it. Or well, they're going to think, oh, he's a terrible dad. They're going to think, oh, what kind of pastor has a problem like that? It's not, that's not wisdom, that's, that's pride. It is pride that makes me afraid of what others will think. It's pride that makes me afraid that people will talk about us. Right, if I am go to Scott, and I'm thinking, no, if I go tell Scott, he's going to... He's going to tell everybody. He'll just go to Walmart. He'll be on a megaphone talking about it to everybody he comes in contact with. Now, is that Scott's character that's leading me to do that? Or is it pride making me afraid? It's pride. It is pride that makes us worry that others will tell what we've asked them about. That others will talk about us. And it's pride that makes us think we don't need others. Well, me and God. Me and God, we've got this. That's not the Bible. The Bible says that that the people who isolate themselves, that they are devoid of wisdom. It says that they they rage against what's best for everyone. It is pride that makes me say, I don't need Joe and Sharon to help me with this. I I don't need Red's prayers and I don't need his advice. I will take care of it. I have all the answers. me and God. It's pride. An author in a book I read, commenting on this idea, he said, don't be too proud to seek the advice of others. Remember, it was your ideas that led you to where you are. And to put that in Dr. Phil lingo, how's your own ideas working for you? How many times in our problems are our ideas not helping? The things we're coming up with not making it better. So why would I think If everything I'm doing is not helping, why would I think I have all the answers? Pride. Because I think I'm smarter and better and more spiritual than everyone else. It's pride. Where there is no counsel, people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Now, clearly, let me say this before we move on. God guides through His people. This isn't just like I'm posting on Facebook. Hey, I've got this really bad problem and blah, 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 blah. That's not what we're talking about. The idea of getting counsel from other people is going to someone I know is godly. Someone I know is wise. Someone I know is spirit-filled and spirit-led who knows the Bible and saying, hey, I've got something. Can I talk to you about it? It's Again, it's like the idea of choosing who to involve. It's not just randomly walking up to anyone on the street or just every person we come to. Specifically picking people we know, we believe to be godly men and women, spirit-filled, who love the Lord, who know the Scriptures, who give us godly advice. That's the picture there. We, We need to listen carefully for God's guidance as we fast. He will speak through His Word. He will lead through His Spirit. And He will speak and guide through His people. Choose who else to involve. Fast seriously. Listen carefully. Follow God's guidance completely. Verse 23 says we fasted and treated our God for this and He answered our prayer. And then the, the rest of this, verse 31, from 24 to 31, it talks about what they did. Right? In verse 24, he separates the 12 elders. He divides the gold and the silver among those people. He entrusts it to their care. And then on the right day, they depart. And then they arrive. Right? The picture is, I think, from what I can see, is God answered their prayer. And I think God answered it in advance when he gave Ezra wisdom about what to do with the stuff. And then God answered at the end of verse 31 when he says he delivered us from the hand of the enemy from the ambush along the road. So God gave them guidance and God gave them protection to help them with their problem. right? And Ezra did everything God said. I think we should take from this that the way Ezra divided things up was what God led him to do. The day they left was even the way God led him to do it. Ezra did exactly what God guided him to do. And Ezra's example must be ours. I'm convinced that one of the main reasons we do not receive guidance from the Lord Is that we are not willing to do it. God knows the thoughts and the intents of our hearts. He knows. That if when we are asking for guidance about a problem. Whether or not we are actually going to follow his guidance. And here is a hard thing for some. But a truth. If we are not willing to follow his guidance. He is not likely to give it. God is not just going to give us guidance. So that we can say. Well that seems like a good idea Lord. But. But I was reading on Facebook and the person there said this. God doesn't give guidance that way. Let me show you this. Look at what, what it says in James. If any of you lack wisdom, that's familiar, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally without reproach and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded, unstable in all of his ways. Familiar passage. If you lack wisdom, ask God and He will give it. The key is that we ask in faith, not doubting. Now the word doubt, as it's used here, it means having a divided mind. It has nothing to do with believing God can answer your prayer. It has nothing to do with believing God, even God will answer your prayer. Instead, it refers to someone who goes back and forth between doing what God wants them to do and something else. That's why James uses the picture of someone being tossed about on a wave, going back and forth. Right? Just as the, the waves of the sea will determine where someone floating on it will go, if we have a divided mind, we are tossed about by the circumstances. Right? It's not just that we make the wrong decision. And it's not just that we don't make any decision. It's instead that our indecision, it causes the circumstances of our life to make those decisions for us. And this often happens because we give our feelings or our desires equal authority to God's guidance. And this causes our emotions and feelings to toss us around like the wind and the waves toss something around that's on the sea. And So here's the picture. I'm praying, I, I have a problem, and I need wisdom. And I have a God who gives to all, liberally, without reproach. And when I go to God and say, God, here's my problem, I need to know what to do. Within that prayer, within that desire, there has to be a willingness to say, and whatever you show me, God, that's what I'm going to do, no matter what it is. Right? When we are praying for God to give us wisdom and guidance, we aren't saying, God... I kind of want to do this, but I read over here about that and someone else told me this. Can you give me your ideas and then I'm going to compare and decide which one I like best? That's not the way it is. Instead, when we go to God, we have to say, God, I'm humbled. I have no idea what to do. I absolutely need your help and your guidance with this problem. And God, what you show me, whatever that will be, that's exactly what I want to do. That's exactly what I will do, no matter how hard it is, no matter how I feel about it, no matter what my emotions say. I will do what you want me to do. And if I am not willing to do what God says, what God guides, what God wants, then I am a double-minded, unstable person and I should not expect to receive any guidance at all from the Lord. God is not an advice columnist. He's not Dr. Field. He is the authoritative, omniscient God of the universe. And when He says this is right, it is right. And He expects us then to determine to move out at that point And do exactly what He said. The way He said it, when He said it needed to be done. At some point, if we have a problem. We have to quit waffling between doing God's will and doing anything else. We have to make a choice. And if we want God's wisdom and God's guidance about our problem, we must determine that what God says is what I'll do. It's not a choice. I'm not going to say it's probably the best choice, but I am going to say that whatever God shows me, whatever God says, that is what I'll do. It is the only decision I'll make no matter how i feel no matter what everyone else around me is telling me if this is what god says this is what i'm going to do we must determine god's way is the only way and we'll do it no matter what so are you facing a problem tonight that you can't keep from having are you facing a problem tonight that you cannot run away from are you facing a problem tonight that you cannot ignore are you facing a problem it's not that you cannot solve on your own? If so, then it may be time to do an Ezra fast and seek answers from an all-knowing, all-powerful God who absolutely wants to guide you along the best pathway for your life. Truly, some answers to some problems only come through prayer and fasting. Let's pray. Our Father, we love you tonight. You are great and awesome. You are worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. And we bow in your presence and we surrender our lives to you. Have your way in our hearts and in our lives. Father, I pray for my precious church family tonight. Lord, you know the problems and the issues that, that are going on in, in, in our lives and our families and in the, just the people that we know and that we care for, Lord. Father, lead us so that we would do it as we're fast, if that's what's needed. Help us, Father, to take your word seriously, to do what we have seen in this, Lord, to seek You, to humble ourselves and say, God, we need You. And whatever You show me, whatever You show me, God, that's what I'll do. Lord, we know that You're here. We know that You care. You've invited us to cast all of our cares upon You. Help us, Father, to seek You in a way that would lead us to the answers we need so that we could see these problems overcame in such a way that, Lord, no person could take credit that we would have to say that's just a, a demonstration of the greatness and the goodness and the, the power Of my God. Have your way in all of our lives. Give us wisdom. We ask in Jesus name. Amen.